Please turn with me to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7. Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, for this service. Father, we pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be very clear this morning. And we pray that the power of your love in that gospel would enlarge our hearts that we might bear lasting fruit for you and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Today's context is foster care and adoption. The takeaway is this. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The flip side, we might say, God's love in Christ enlarges our hearts. This is a, this is a heart. <laughs> enlarges our hearts to bear fruit. Like Psalm 119, 32. I run in the direction of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Today, each of us has a choice. Without Jesus, no fruit. In Jesus, enlarged heart, fruit. And to drive this home, three points. Jesus is the promise through whom we receive the gospel. Jesus is the vine through whom we have life and bear lasting fruit. And Jesus is the merciful one through whom we show mercy. But first, a brief part of my story. I came to Philly in 95 to go to seminary and get ready for missions. Seminary, I took Bible, urban, missions, counseling. It was great. I jumped into the city, Logan, got involved with the Cambodian church, youth group, families, and all of that was great preparation for what was yet to come. In 99, I graduated, and all the doors were closing. But one opened, and that was Bethana, foster care. (laughs) I'm all touchy today. (laughs) Um, So I've been with Bethana for 24 years. And the the first 16 of those years was with treatment foster care. And just to give you some perspective on TFC, here are the kids in our country and, you know, they're, they're doing okay, but that one's having trouble, and that one's having trouble. And then you get the foster care population and additional stressors, and some are doing okay, but having trouble, having trouble. Then you get to treatment foster care and additional behaviors, services, trainings, and some are doing okay, but trouble, trouble, trouble. So those are the kids I'll be referring to today. <clears throat> All right. Point one, Jesus is the promise through whom we receive the gospel. Let's start in Galatians 4, but go to the last verse in chapter 3, verse 29. Let me read that. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So let me ask, how do we become part of Abraham's offspring, his family, true Israel. In this context, you'll see that we can either rely on ourself or rely on God. Rely on self like a slave held captive to the law or rely on God like a son who inherits the promise. 
See, this goes back to Abraham and Sarah. They were getting older, and they were promised a child, Isaac, through whom the Messiah would come. But after 10 years, Sarah was barren. And so she said, let's go to Hagar, my slave woman. Abraham and Hagar had Ishmael. And then 14 years later, the promised child, Isaac, was born. Now, Hebrews 11 makes very clear Abraham and Sarah were commended for their faith at certain points. But with Hagar, they did not trust God, his word, his promise. And that's self-reliance, unbelief, and sin. And we see a similar dynamic in Galatians 3. See, they had received the promise. They had the gospel. But they were taught to add circumcision. And so they turned from gospel promise to the requirement of circumcision. From grace to law. From Jesus to self. From faith to unbelief. Trying to perfect themselves in the flesh. Again, self-reliance and sin. And then we come to chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God is sovereign. Someone greater than the law is here. God sent forth His Son. The eternal Father sent the eternal Son. Jesus is God. Born of woman, Jesus man. Jesus the God-man. Born under law, to be our representative under law, Jesus had to be a man. But to obey the law perfectly, he had to be God. Jesus, the God-man. And then in verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law. We're all under the law. And we're all under God's curse. Because we've all sinned inwardly in motive and outwardly in deed. But God is not only just to curse us, he's also the justifier. So he curses his son, Jesus. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. To redeem. Jesus paid the price of a ransom to free us from sin's bondage and its penalty, physical and eternal death. 1 Peter 1 says, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price. Romans 4, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. To be our representative as a cursed, sacrificed lamb, Jesus had to be man. And to bear the Father's wrath perfectly, Jesus had to be God. Again, Jesus, the God-man. So when Jesus is on the cross, the God-man, and he says, it is finished, God said, it is finished. Again in verse 5, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's how you get into Abraham's family. Through adoption, a gift, through faith in Christ. And an adoption hearing, a promise is made. A new family is given. And a child is loved. Ephesians 1. In love, the Father predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Galatians 2. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And in Romans 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now that's a lot of love. Back to Galatians 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Have you experienced this cry of the heart? Verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, than an heir through God. In Roman times, the adopted adult had access to all the Father's wealth. Do you trust this Jesus? Is your allegiance to him alone? If you don't know Jesus today, 
Will you confess and turn away from your sins and trust in him, the only one who can bring you into the family of God? John 1.12 says, as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And if you do know Jesus today, how are you living? As a child of the slave woman, Hagar, or as a child of the free woman, Sarah? Are you a slave born according to the flesh or a son born through promise? Are you under the law and under unbelieving or are you under the grace of the gospel and trusting God's word? Christ fulfilled the law. Are you focused on duty and in bondage or are you experiencing joy, freedom, freedom to obey like a son does? Pastor Joseph has been mentioning Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. Quote, you can live for the smile of God or you can live from it, from it. Living for God's smile might look something like this. Look at me, God. Look, look what I'm doing. Are you smiling? How about now? How about now? Is my obedience helping you to love me? Or you can live from God's smile. You look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And like Mark Jones says in his book, Knowing Christ, my God, my God, why have you embraced me? You see, Jesus felt forsaken that we might be embraced. And then we have the cry of the psalmist. He put a new song in my mouth. And like, and like Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, we make it our aim to please him. Do you see the difference? Over here, self-reliance. And whatever your worldview, all the worldviews are over here apart from Christ, whether you got God in it or not. Self-reliance. And if you think you're doing well, it tends toward pride. And if you think you're not doing well, it tends toward despair. But over here, it's God-reliance. And you look into Jesus, it inevitably leads to humility and hope, which brings forth love and perseverance which is relevant for our context today. So don't be like Abraham and Sarah over here looking for Hagar because God's not working on your timeline. Be like Abraham and Sarah over here, rejoicing at the child of promise, Isaac. A greater Isaac is here. We can rejoice. Jesus is the promise. All the promises in the Bible are yes in him. In Jesus, we have access to all the Father's wealth. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Are you anxious? Humble yourselves. Cast your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Are you doubting your salvation? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you hear the promise? Do you see the promise? I had a boy on my caseload. I'll call him T. He was 10 years old, and we were about to close his foster dad's home. And independent of that, he was angry and yelling at his foster dad, cussing. Why won't you adopt me? T was an orphan twice. Parents long gone, no home, and no hope and without God in the world. So consider a hypothetical. He's calm, I get him alone, try to reach his heart. T, I know someone who understands exactly what you're going through. When Jesus was on that cross, he suffered more than anyone. It was like he was the orphan of all orphans. And the father was happy with his obedience and yet distant because he punished him for all sins, yours and mine. And he did that, that we might become children in his family and find a home in God. You mean Jesus did all that for me? Yes, T. And let's go to God in prayer and his word. It says in Psalm 68 that he settles the solitary in a home. 
soft, solitary? <laughs> yeah, those who are alone. And let's trust that God will take care of your needs just as he did on that cross. All right? Apart from Jesus, you have no hope and you're without God in the world. Apart from Jesus, you cannot become a son or daughter of the Father. Apart from Jesus, you cannot receive any of his promises. But in Christ, we have hope, we have God, we have his family, and we have his promises. And we have enlarged hearts. Point two. Jesus is the vine through whom we have life and bear lasting fruit. Turn with me to John 15. John 15, verses 1 to 17. I'm not going to read all that, just summarize some of it. John 15, verse 1 to 17. Summarize the first part of it, at least. Who, who's in this passage? Well, early in the passage, Jesus is speaking and says he's the vine, the life giver. The Father is the vine dresser. He's the discipliner and judge. The unbeliever is spoken of as branches that don't abide in Jesus, and they don't bear fruit, and there's the promise of judgment, the fire. That's verse 6. Believers are said to be branches who abide and they bear fruit. And the Father prunes them and they bear more fruit. So what are the overarching commands in this passage? Abide in me and bear fruit. Verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, he it is that bears, last, that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We cannot, we cannot bear fruit, anything of eternal value, apart from abiding in Jesus. And why must we bear fruit? Verse 8, to glorify the Father and prove to be his disciples. And how do we abide in Jesus? In this passage, abiding in Jesus is associated with his words abide or remain in us. Ask whatever you wish in his name. Abide in his love. Keep his commandments. So in short, abiding in Jesus, word, prayer, his love, and obey. Word, prayer, his love, obedience. And how do we bear fruit for him? In this passage, fruit is associated with receiving his discipline, his loving discipline, keeping his commandments, loving one another, laying down our lives for our friends. Bearing fruit, discipline, obedience, you love, we all love, and lay down our lives. Now that's a lot of responsibility. But what has Jesus already done in this passage or soon to come? He cleansed, he spoke, he loved us, he gave us joy, he gave his life, he called us friends, he chose us, and he appointed us. Now that sounds like cause for an enlarged heart. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Follow me. Verse 9, I have loved you. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Not half full, full. Verse 12, I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now Jesus already laid down his life for us. He demonstrated the love in which we are to abide. And he was raised from the dead. In him is life, and that life is in us. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, remain, last. Jesus chooses us, he appoints us, he saves us, he prays for us, and he keeps us. 
Now, when we bear fruit of his spirit, and it will last, and his father is glorified. So trust and apply the gospel daily. Abide in Jesus, the vine, the life giver. Trust in the certainty and the cost of his love, his word, and pray. Be in community, and we will bear fruit. We will learn to love. This is a foundation for how we can battle sin, do marriage, missions, foster care, serve at church, anything stressful, anything at all. Now, those are a lot of big things there. And and so there are wisdom issues and practical issues for sure. But in regard to the heart and our intent, this is how to prepare. And this is how to persevere. I think in my 16 years, TFC, I had four burnout periods, one of them in 2009. So I walk into one of my best homes and I say to my foster dad, Sean, I can't keep doing this job. And he looks at me and he goes, Steve, would you like some spaghetti and sausage? That's what he did. It was good, too. Hanging out with the kids, counting the medication. I tried, I tried asking for a lighter load. I, I tried vacation, biking, friends, scripture. No breakthrough. I was commended in the field in a couple of weeks. You know, parents, kids. But it, back at the office, I was given lip and attitude to my supervisor. Complaint and anger. No energy to do emergencies. So I met with a mentor. I said, Peter... My supervisors asked me to move to a less stressful department. I'm a veteran up there. Peter said, Steve, I want you to go back. Hold your mouth and do what they say. So I did. I went back, looked around for jobs, and I had to get with God. I repented of my unbelief. I was not trusting God's promise to do good through this injustice for a season. Later, in the same unit, after three months, six, 12 months, Renee, my supervisor, she said, you know, it's rare that we see real change in this kind of work. Apart from Jesus, you cannot repent unto God. Apart from Jesus, you cannot receive his joy. Apart from Jesus, you cannot bear fruit of the Spirit, fruit that lasts and glorifies the Father. But in Christ, we repent, we have joy, and we bear lasting fruit and glorify the Father since our hearts are enlarged with the love of God in Christ. Well, there's a foundation for God's love for us. Point three, Jesus is the merciful one through whom we show mercy. Now, this is a longer section, so four subpoints: The relevance of mercy, definition of mercy, motivation, motive for mercy, and eternal perspective on mercy. First, relevance of mercy. Remember my boy T? I hypothetically tried to reach his heart and he could see the love of God and reinterpret the chaos in his life. But maybe, more realistically, an angry, unbelieving, 10-year-old foster boy will first need to see a family's love. And then the kindness of God may lead him to repentance. Once T trusts that God has indeed settled him in a home, Psalm 68, his heart may open up to Jesus for forgiveness and peace. So, what kind of home are we hoping for? Well, I say one in which the parent images God the Father. Now, I'm not going to say the, the references, just going to zoom through this. God, God is a God of all comfort, He's the Father of mercy, He's slow to anger. He disciplines in love. He adopts. He sacrifices through his son. 
And then Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, see if you can follow. The parent has to have some level of morals, carry their authority well, give provision, ready to forgive, teach forgiveness and conflict resolution. Lead us not in temptation. He, uh, a parent needs to teach and model integrity, wisdom, prudence, purity. Deliver us from evil. A parent needs to protect and advocate. Now, I got parents that are doing some of those things, some, a lot of those things. And in as much as a parent images God's love consistently and over a long period of time, the children tend to stabilize, even the most difficult. Maybe some rare exceptions, but they do. They do. But some foster parents sometimes give the difficult kids back. Two passages characterize my best foster parents. Luke 15, 20 is in the middle of the prodigal story. You may remember the, the son gets his inheritance and he squanders it and sins and, and the famine hits and he's with the pigs and he comes to himself and he wants to go home, penitent. And when he's a long way off, the father sees him and he feels compassion and he runs and he embraces him and he kisses him and he celebrates, get the fattened calf. My son was lost, but now he's home. Now, my best parents, they may not look like that exactly, but in their hearts, they got that passion. You come into this house and you're part of the family. And there's another passage that characterizes my best parents. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, that passage talks about the love of money and discontent of heart. Well, I got kids there. I finally get that and go that, that, that. What if the Lord said, my child, I will never leave you nor forsake you. A child needs to hear that and see it from a parent and from God. That passage also refers to Joshua 1. The Lord's telling Joshua, go into the land. Enemies, do not be dismayed. Children have enemies. We all do. I will never leave you nor forsake you. A child needs to hear that. See it from a parent and from God. Sean and Camille, I've mentioned them. Two separate homes, single parents. They've been doing this for 20 or more years. Sean's adopted nine. And Camille's adopted 16. And most of them are TFC. And that doesn't even include the foster kids they might have. Camille has one now and four of the adopted are still there and, 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 and Sean had a child two years and he settled down and then he reunified with a grandma. I mean, what about the short term, the month, the month helping and the weekend emergency? These guys are living it out. So what happened to T? Well, at 12, T did get adopted. But it was a struggle. Ms. H was like, I don't know if we want to adopt him until his behaviors change. See the law there? Jesus says, come to me. T was like, I don't want to be adopted. I don't like their motives. He said it differently, but that's what he said. And they struggle. Who's going to change first? (laughs) But they did adopt. I'm thankful. I still am. But at 16, T was arrested for armed robbery did five years incarceration, and through his 20s, I think they did keep in touch somewhat, but now he's 29, and they are estranged, and he's alone. Maybe sees a sister. Now, Kay, I haven't mentioned Kay. Kay's another boy, a similar but different story. I had Kay from like six to 10 years old, four different homes. Just imagine, different home, different, different town, different parents, different house rules, different siblings, different school, different peers, different teacher. After three homes, I was able to do something like this with Kay. I, I had called Camille the night before. Kay, you know Miss Camille? You know how you spent two weekends there, like respite, and your brother's there? In two days, I'm going to take you down there, okay? And Kay... She wants to adopt you. 
<laughs> that was a special moment in my career. <laughs> Kay just probably didn't trust me. I brought him down there. Ten, ten months later, he's adopted. I'm out of the house and everyone's happy. <laughs> it was good. He's still there. He's, 20, he's 23. And he's doing pretty well. Uh, two incarcerations since high school. Right now, he is for um, fighting and gun possession. But one thing Kay's got, he's got a family. He called her just this week. We all need Jesus. But God, but God looks deeper to the sins of the heart, pride, unbelief. So you can take the best parent, and I love them, and they stabilize a kid and all their suffering and their, and their sins, anger, conflict, discontent. Oh, praise God. But you know, there's always sins deeper in the heart. Anger against God, rebellion, false worship. And no matter how good you are, you can't get down into the depths of the heart. You need God to get down to the sins of the heart. And that is mercy. So Christian parents have a chance, as the Lord provides, to be part of this mercy and this mercy. Okay, that was relevance of mercy. Subpoint two. So, what is mercy? One theologian suggested mercy is the fruit of compassion, tender hearted, loving kindness. You know, we see God in Exodus 3 talking of Israel and Egypt. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. The Good Samaritan looked at the man left half dead on the road, and he had compassion, and he acted. Jesus saw the widow with the, at the funeral with the deceased adult son. He had compassion, and he acted. And the father, the father of the prodigal, he felt compassion, and he acted. And he forgave. Showing mercy seems to flow from compassion. For the distressed, think of the man on the road, the widow, for the weak, and sometimes for those who offend. Think of the prodigal. In Matthew 9, 35 and 36, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now there's some eternal mercy. And healing every disease and every affliction, there's some temporal mercy. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed. There's some distress. And they were helpless, powerlessness and weakness, like sheep without a shepherd. The shepherds had failed, but the true shepherd had walked among us and offers mercy. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And there's a fence. Romans 5, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And every time we show mercy at a cost to ourselves, in some measure, we image Jesus in the gospel. Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our sins, there's some distress, there's some weakness, there's some offense, and just as we cannot repay God for his grace and mercy toward us in Christ, so the weak and needy, like us, sinners and sufferers, may not be able to repay us. But with an enlarged heart, we might be willing to take a risk, a wise risk for God. So point three, motivation for mercy. And this is not comprehensive. Just going to pick some things here. We've mentioned thus far the electing love of God, the promises of God, the glory of the Father, the cost of Jesus' blood, the presence of the Spirit, also compassion and joy. And let me say, that's no slap your hand religion, right? Those are treasures from heaven. 
I hate slap your hand religion. Consider now the command of God. Gratitude and hope. Let's just take a look at a few. First, command. The Holy Spirit uses the law of God. We get convicted and we run to the gospel. Amen. But let's look at another use of the law. Remember the Good Samaritan? Jesus gave the parable. A man was left half dead by the robbers on the road and the priest walks by and the Levite walks by and the Samaritan has compassion and bandages his wounds and puts them on the animal, brings him to the inn, pays and says, I'll come back and check on him. And after he gave the parable, Jesus asked the inquiring lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? And Jesus says to the lawyer, well, the, the lawyer says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I mean, do you hear that? That's from our Savior, Jesus Christ. If we are resting as sons and daughters of the Father, a command like this could motivate us. A good command like this. John says that the commandments of God are not burdensome. The psalmist, I delight to do your will for your law is within my heart. That's the psalmist. And we got Jesus. Amen. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, in their time of need. So here's an aside. Quick aside. If you're young maybe and Maybe you haven't had experience or chance to, to visit a hospital, a nursing home, a hospice where people are dying right now. They're dying. Jail, orphanage, a slum. Here's a low-level commitment, just something to think about. Sometimes people are in the hospital right here in church and, and just get your ID and go to the desk and go on up to see them. And with a warm countenance and a listening ear and take some interest, and you'll probably be a blessing. If you don't want to go alone, just ask someone. I'll go with you if you want. I've got a friend in the nursing home. He had a stroke. He's 55. I visited him and time went on. He starts texting me and I just called him. I called him 20 minutes. Seemed to be encouraged. As far as foster care, some of you may have some interest and it may seem overwhelming, like too big of a commitment. Well, consider a, a supportive role. If you, if you get clearances done on you, you, you can be an after-school supervisor in someone else's home. Or if you're willing to go a little further and get your home approved, you, you can have a kid over for a day, a night, weekend, a, a week in the summer, whatever, respite. And then give the kids back. You can give the kids back. I love giving the kids back. <laughs> Just, I do. It, it, there are different roles. And, and, and just see what God does. Well, let's look at gratitude for a minute. Now, this passage, 1 John 3, 16 and 19, and I think 21 and 22, ah, this passage is so good. This summarizes, in a way, the whole sermon. If you meditate on this passage, memorize it, pray it, live it, you've taken the sermon and walked away with it. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How can God's love be in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we're of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Beloved, can you see that that obedience comes from the smile of God? It comes from God loving us first, not because of any works of righteousness that we've done, but because of his mercy. This passage, 
trying to find where I was. In this passage, God demonstrates his love. Jesus died and rose at that cross. Point one, we abide in his love and lay our lives down for the brothers. Point two, and we see someone in need and show mercy. Point three, and this leads to assurance of heart, of heart, confidence in prayer, and enlarging of our hearts. And finally, let's look at hope. In Luke 6, 35 and 6, Jesus says this, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Now, enemies don't love us, do they? They sin. They hurt us. But we are called to be sons and do good and be merciful to those who offend. Why? Because the Father is merciful to us. And we look forward to our fullness as sons of the Most High. Beloved, we already are in the family of God. And we will have reward. I have a grandma on, on my case low. She's like a secondary figure. And she's difficult. And she's mouthy. And so I just want to walk away from her. Get, get away from sin. But Jesus goes towards sinners. And so I see this material and I get in prayer. And I go, God, God, 2 Corinthians 5. Is, Paul says that the love of Christ controls him. Lord, I pray that the love of Christ will compel me to be a minister of reconciliation. Help me love this woman. Amen. That's what I did. And, and I took a step toward her. Do you see what's going on there? God, Jesus goes toward the sinner and the enemies of God. He goes toward me. I go toward him. He enlarges my heart, and I take a step toward my enemy. Just get rid of Jesus, and then what do you Nothing. Two enemies that, or that way, generally speak. We're loved by Jesus through his death and resurrection. We're loved through his promises near and far. And we have enlarged hearts. To, we're free to walk in love in the present. Can you see why God's commandments would not be burdensome? I had two twin boys. Jay, I'll call him Jay, and his brother. They were about 10 when they arrived at Ms. M's house, her foster home. Now, Jay was intense. And she was afraid that his angry episodes would hurt her as, as he gets older. And I understood. So after several months, Ms. M could not commit to adoption. Sometimes we try to do good, and we get hurt. And we struggle with our own fear, anger, irritability, and complaint. But with the gospel... We have a chance at joy, gratitude, and hope, leading to a renewed strength to love for Jesus' sake. Apart from Jesus, we may struggle to love the weak and needy effectively. But in Christ, we learn to minister from weakness with hearts enlarged. Okay. Eternal perspective on mercy. So I moved the boys from Ms. M, outward discipline, not committed, to Mr. and Mrs. S, inexperienced, brand new, and committed. The boys were almost 11 years old. As you know, Jay is intense. The second night, he flipped every other night cussing, crying, yelling, tantrums, trashing the room three times a week, two times a week, one time a week, I think, at the end of a year. Everyone was working hard. He broke Ms. S. nose at three months. 
At 12, the boys were adopted. <laughs> and now they're 22. <laughs> At 18, Jay was arrested and did time for car theft. And then recently at 21, he needed an emergency prescription for mood stabilizers. But recently, last summer, I talked to Mrs. S. I was telling her about my kids moving from home to home. And she says this. He's our son. We made a promise when we went into that courtroom. It's our cross to bear, she said. For every exhaustion, there were two or three joys. You don't get to say, I'm going to give you back. Throw your kids out in the trash. You go to jail for that. I love that. You just do it because they're your kids. <laughs> and the three half-sibs were in another adoptive placement, which fell through. They came back into care, and now they're in this home with the three plus another one. There's six. Mm. Mr. and Mrs. S., they were coached. They gained experience, and they committed first. I'm so proud of them. So what's going on here? I'm going to try a diagram. The child mistrusts, has angry behaviors. Foster parent gets hurt, doesn't commit. Child doesn't trust. Maybe another placement. More angry behaviors. Hurts the foster parent, doesn't, doesn't commit. And more mistrust. And who's going to break this cycle? The weaker child? No, no, it has to be the parent. And that's what Mr. and Mrs. S. did. All that said, they're not believers of their own profession, as far as I know. Gratitude toward Christ? No. Hope in Christ? No. Mr. and Mrs. S. can offer love, care, perseverance? Yes, amen. And I'm thankful. But temporal care. They can't offer eternal care. Because you see, our pride and our mistrust leads to more sin. But God is just and righteous and opposes our sin. And he's also merciful. And he begins to reveal like sunsets and conscience. But we're weak and we're blind. And we don't trust and we're proud, and more sin, and God's just and righteous, and he opposes our sin, but he's merciful, and he gives us the Bible, and we can read it, and he gives us a sermon, and we can hear it, but we're rebellious, and unbelieving, and proud, and who's going to break this cycle? God, God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. Jesus breaks the cycle. Amen. Not the dead sinner. Jesus is the merciful one. And God commits to us before we trust in him. And we worship. Apart from Jesus, you cannot love the weak and needy for eternity. But in Christ... We learn to minister from hope and for hope with hearts enlarged. Some final remarks. Let's consider briefly three observations about the blind man healed by Jesus in John 9. In verse 7, the man went and washed and came back seeing. That's physical sight. Jesus left, he came back, and he asked him, and he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man responded, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. That's spiritual sight. And all this was, in verse 3, that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, Jesus is not only our example, caring for body and soul. He's the Messiah to be worshipped. Let me ask again, have you received mercy from this Jesus? Blindness runs deep, but Jesus is the light of the world. You see, caring for the weak and needy 
is merciful and obedient, but it must be about worshiping Jesus, the one who loved us first. Recall the takeaway at the beginning? God's love in Christ enlarges our hearts to bear lasting fruit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, if I give away all I have, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Sounds like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says this, God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you. The question is not, do we give generously to the weak and needy? The question is, do we give generously to the weak and needy for Jesus? Because we love him. Because he loves us. And he demonstrated it. In Jesus, the burden of duty becomes freedom to obey. Today, we were reminded of the call to receive our adoption by the Father through Jesus and His Spirit. Likewise, we were reminded that God, rich in mercy, made us alive together in Christ. Both gifts of adoption and mercy are because of the great love with which He loved us, clearly demonstrated in Jesus' death and resurrection. So it makes sense that any show of mercy we do for others and unto God, whether we adopt, parent, disciple, evangelize, coach, counsel, or otherwise care for those in need, it must be about worshiping Jesus. And God our Father, not you nor I, will be glorified. For Jesus is the promise through whom we receive the gospel. Jesus is the vine through whom we have life and bear lasting fruit. And Jesus is the merciful one through whom we show mercy. And it's that Jesus, it's that Jesus that said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you loved us and you sent Jesus to pay a great price for our redemption. Secure in him by your spirit, we bear fruit that remains and glorifies you. We pray you grant us joy and faith, gratitude and hope. Enlarge our hearts and may this lead to our obedience, lasting fruit, even to the hard work of showing mercy to the weak and needy. For your sake, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.